And welcome back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. We have gone to the bullpen. Um, I know he is a Cubs fan, but very fittingly, after my Reds just took four straight from the Cardinals. So I am giddy. He is Mark Dykton. Uh, Mark, thank you for you doing, the KB? very short notice, and always good to have you, man. I'm hoping the Cubs bullpen right now instead of the Reds bullpen. So Yeah, I, I, I think you are. The Cubs are playing very good ball right now, which I think if we did this podcast like mid-April, you wouldn't have said. But uh, <laughs> as the MLB season moves along, just wait, I don't know, a few weeks, and your team will probably be doing something. Of no, but uh, in all seriousness, Chris feeling a little bit under the weather, so Mark sliding in. We've got a great pod, I think, for you today. We're going to have Frank Reich, the interview I did with him last week when I filled in for Dan Dockich. I know not all of you are listening to uh, whatever, daytime radio, so I thought we would plug that in, so we'll have that. It's about a 17 or 18-minute interview with Frank, and you know, it's daily radio, so it's not crazy in-depth, but it, I thought... Frank, really, I feel like he's one of the more candid NFL coaches. Yeah, he doesn't tell you everything, but I thought it was a pretty good interview, so I hope you guys enjoy that. We'll get into our positions of strength for the Colts here in 2021. A little bit of Julio chatter and Twitter questions as well, and I think that covers everything. So, like I was saying, guys, we're going to stick to one podcast per week until training camp, probably get into a couple a week once uh, camp starts, but... uh if you're ready to go, Mark, let's uh, let's do it. All right, KB, we want to know the uh, positions you feel the best about heading into training camp. Let's start with the running back position. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that you phrased it like that, feel the best about. I, the position you feel most confident in, it's a question I actually asked Frank Reich, and I know full well that he's not going to answer it. It's like picking, you know, what are your favorite children or which one is your favorite. By the way, which one is your favorite child? <sighs> You know, you see, you only have the one, so it's easy for you. I've got three. and Yeah. Shout out to Rosie Bow. She's turning one on Saturday. By the uh, way. Any given day, one can be my favorite and the other could be my least. That's how it goes when yeah, you have multiple I, children. I was going to say, maybe any given hour. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the case. That is the, the truth. For the Dighton family. But, you know, it's a question, again, I threw out Frank. I knew he wouldn't answer it. But to me, it's running back. Um, and Frank did say when I kind of tried to nudge him down the running back path, which I probably shouldn't have, he did, you know, say something to the effect of, like, that group is special. You know, I think when I've come on with you guys in the morning, Mark, or I've said it on this podcast, yes, you have a Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Yes, you have a Nick Chubb and a Kareem Hunt in Cleveland. But I don't know if there's a more diverse running back room in the NFL. And I posted something on Monday on uh, 107.5thefan.com. I think Jonathan Taylor is a flat-out, stud slash budding star in this league like he finished third in the nfl in rushing last year and the guy got benched twice during the season yeah so when you factor in that you know i don't know if he's going to get the carries to call for it and i know nfl running backs don't get a lot of this sort of notoriety but you know sleeper him derrick henry mvp type stuff you know i'm thinking a little bit of prop swap action i mean those are some some odds that you could really, really tap into it. And I know how quarterbacks are in this league, and obviously they're going to probably win the award. But what I'm getting at is I, I just feel like Taylor, if the O-line uh, can stay together, stay healthy, and he takes that next step, um, he not only gives you – you not only have a diverse running back room, but you have a guy at the top of the depth chart that gives you something that Edger and James potentially gave you. Um 
you know, over a decade and a half ago now. So, uh, but I, I do think there is that sort of potential. Now, is Taylor going to get there? Is he going to sustain it over a decade? Those are all questions. But the last time the Colts had a running back finish top five in rushing, it was Edge. You know, for how good Joseph Adai was at his role, even Dominic Rhodes, uh, those guys never you know, reach that sort of stardom in the NFL. And obviously that position has changed a whole lot in the last 15 or so years. So um, I'm very high on Taylor and very high on this group in general. You think Taylor cracks 1,200 yards this year? Yeah, I do. I mean, he was close to it last year mm-hmm. and, again, you know, didn't really emerge as the bell cow. It, it's very interesting to me, Mark, and I speak for everyone you know, what will the fantasy <laughs> reps look like for the Colts at running back? Um, because, you know, what does Marlon Mack offer you? Uh, how involved do you want Naeem Hines as a runner versus you know, kind of that hybrid role as well? Something to note, I don't know if I mentioned this when the schedule came out, but Colt fans might want to, uh, I don't know, stay away from their own players. And I know that might sound weird. The Colts have the latest buy in the NFL this year. And that is the first week, I think, of a lot of fantasy playoffs. So if you're one of those people that, you know, you don't want to draft your guys that are going to be sitting out week one of the playoffs, that is something to keep in mind for our uh, crazy fantasy. There's nothing worse when you're doing a draft and you're like, oh, man, I have like four guys at week seven buys or something. And you start panicking a little bit. It's one game, but you still panic. It's one game, but in a 16, well, 12 game schedule, whatever it is. I've told you this before, Mark. There's no worse fantasy football player than me. (laughs) I don't know. I can give you a run for the money, I think. Horrific. Another position you feel well, uh, feel really good about offensive line. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a big drop to number two, mm-hmm. uh, just because you have to acknowledge the Costanzo loss and just a little bit of that Eric Fisher injury situation. I, I, I will say the depth is a lot better, and I think that's what, to me, puts it confidently at number two, and we'll get into three and four here in just a second, but you still bring back four starters on the O-line. You can't overlook that, and I come back to that depth. I mean, that is vitally important. We saw it late last season when you did have – some of those issues you know I keep on going back to I was writing something on the um, guys getting extensions and I fully expect Darius Leonard Braden Smith to be extended Naeem Hines I think it's a possibility we'll, we'll see how that plays out but you think back to how Braden Smith became the right tackle for this team in 2018 I want to say it was week five they had at that point I think started Nine, maybe ten different guys on their O line by week five, mm-hmm. and uh, just tragically, the reason why Braden Smith came into the starting lineup is because Denzel Good's brother is shot and killed. Denzel Good doesn't play on a Thursday night. He goes obviously to the funeral of his brother. That would have been the starter at right tackle for that game. And then all of a sudden, the Colts are scrambling again on a short week. Braden Smith goes to right tackle, and here we are now. You know, whatever, two and a half years later, and this whole line for the most part has been intact. Obviously, Fisher now in there for Anthony Costanzo, but I still put the O line number two on the list. Again, depth for me is just so, so important for that group. We'll, we'll see how quality of depth it is if it's needed, when it's needed, probably is a better phrase to use, but I got that number two. Yep. Number three, we're moving to the defensive side. You have linebackers slash safety. Yeah, I kind of cop out here because I'm soft. I'll go, I kind of go co-number threes here. I could be talked into either. Um, I think what's really intriguing about both these position groups, Mark, you show me a depth chart. I don't know how great I feel about the depth, which whatever, it's fine. 
But if you show me the starters, they're very similar in that they're young, rookie contract guys, all drafted in the first four rounds. And while one has been an all-pro multiple years in Darius Leonard, you hear Chris Bauer talk about the safeties, and it's Julian Blackman is all-pro level, and Kari Wills is the most underrated guy on this defense. Obviously, Bobby Okariki is the other linebacker. We hear you know Jim Irsay and people inside that organization think there's Pro Bowl potential with him. Um, so the depth has them a little bit low, lower, I should say, than running back in a line just because I think the depth is so key there. But when you're talking about your starting linebacker duo, and I say duo because just you, know, you don't really use a third linebacker a lot, Leonard and Okariki is a pretty good pairing. You go to safety, you talk about the present and the future. I think Blackman and Willis is a pretty good pairing as well. I know Blackman, you know, big key for him was kind of improving his leg strength this offseason, not ACL related, more so just to withstand the grind of a, you know, a schedule that's five games longer than your college football schedule was, not to mention potential playoff games as well. So I think that was a big key for him. Felt like his legs kind of got away from him last season. So I'm going to cop out here and go linebacker and safety together. Participation trophy. Everyone, yeah, everyone gets one. Boy, no, no, n- nothing says I'm a girl dad like you know. Here, I, I, I'm just getting so soft right now. Uh, Malik Hooker is still a free agent safety. Is that someone you would worry about? Or are you waving goodbye to him? Because they've been really, in, they've brought a lot of their own free agents back this they year. Have. He's one that has not has not registered yet. He's still out there. Yeah, I think that's a marriage that was very mutually decided. Let's part ways. Yeah, I don't think it's like Eric Ebron type feelings. You know, just like a little bit of venom. I don't think we'll necessarily, I don't know, maybe we'll see Hooker with a cryptic social media post the week before he plays. I know he's visited Dallas, Miami. I think he was just in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I don't see it. I mean, it'd be pretty humbling for the 15th overall pick to all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, go play special teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we have a third safety, maybe. So I think Hooker says, hey, is there, you know, a place around the league where I can compete for a starting job, show that I'm healthy coming off the torn Achilles? And, uh, yeah, I don't – right now you got the two Sean Davises, George Odom as well, coming off surgery. So, yeah, I don't see Hooker back. Yeah. Seems like whenever they're it's kind of like injury plagued or just, you know, you'd rather go somewhere and earn a starting job elsewhere than come back to the team you were at and basically Definitely. be second fiddle. Yeah, and I, I just think with Hooker, it's just a bit humbling when you play a position that the Colts haven't gone to sub-package with. Uh, running back, a little bit different with Marlon Mack, but yeah, I, I just think Hooker wants a you know change of environment, which I totally agree with. All right, fifth on your list of four is defensive tackle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> Chris wouldn't you know rip me like this, so I I, I don't know if we're gonna ask you back <laughs> moving forward. Uh, yes, I, I'm gonna go defensive tackle here again. When you look at the starters, Mark DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart, that's a damn good tandem, damn good tandem. And then when I look at the depth. I actually kind of like it. Uh, they made a signing a few weeks back, a- a- Antoine Woods. I was talking to somebody pretty close um, to that Dallas organization and just saying Woods is just the perfect fit for this defense and is pretty pissed off that Dallas didn't bring him back. So I think you look at him as maybe the backup to Stewart. We'll see with Taylor Stallworth, who I thought played good snaps for you last season. Um, I know we probably haven't talked about him at all, but Rob Windsor, six-round pick, not this past draft, but the previous April, I thought he had a few moments in training camp, pretty much spent the entire year on the practice squad. But he, he's a name that I'm going to be watching. Um, and then the top backup is a guy that I think is one of the more undervalued players on this team here in 2021, and that's Tyquan Lewis. 
Um, I know he could start at defensive end on the early downs, but you know you move over to defensive tackle on those pass downs, and I think that's where Lewis really comes into play there when you take Grover Stewart off the field. So, again, starting duo, I think you feel good about. Um, now, you will notice here, Mark, there's no defensive end. Like, I didn't just throw the defensive line there. Defensive end, you got a bunch of names. You got a bunch of names. Like, it, it, okay, show me something. Right. You know, that that's a big show-me position this year. Uh, I thought about tight end, but, you know, I, the, I just couldn't fully go there. Wide out to me, it's a big health question when you talk about Campbell. Um, and then corner, I think in general, you just have some question marks after you get through the top two there. So um, these are the five-ish that I went with, four, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, yeah, these are my uh, most confident positions that make me sleep well at night if I were Chris Ballard or Frank Wright. I tend to agree. I'm I'm thinking about the depth chart, and, I mean, you really don't know what you're getting in Carson Wentz, so you can't say QB. Right, can't go QB. And then you think about depth at QB. You know, you just can't go there either. So, um, yeah, I try to divide up. Instead of just going, like, defensive line or secondary, I try to get a little individual back there just because I don't think you can group D-tackle and D-end together. I don't think you can group corner and safety together either. So, uh, so yeah, um, we'll, we'll get into more of this stuff here over the next month and a half. Let's hit that Frank Reich interview right now. Again, um, this is with myself and Dan Dockich last Wednesday. This aired uh, at that point, the Colts rookies were still in town. The final in-person uh, contact with coaches and rookies uh, until training camp begins in late July. So I hope you enjoy this. He is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts heading into year four at the helm. He is Frank Reich joining us right now. Coach, thank you for the time. How you doing? Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Did you uh, you take in any of the race this this weekend? You know what? I actually missed it. We normally like to try to attend, and my, our family, we've been many times, but uh, this year we had other plans and weren't able to make it. I was going to say, you, you, you've kind of been in a few racing hotbeds. I'm trying to think, you know, down in Carolina, I'm sure that's that's pretty big down there. And then obviously, yeah. Indy, that, that, that no, speaks yeah, for itself. Yeah, we're, we're big fans, as, you know, as far as watching it and um, keep keeping up with it a little bit. But, um, yeah, Charlotte was a great – we lived down there for 13 years, so i like to attend some races there as well. Frank Reich joining us here. Kevin Bowen filling in today for Double D. Uh, For those that don't know, Coach, right now, is it just rookies in the building? Is that correct? That's right, Kevin. Uh, Just rookies. And then there's a few vets, you know, kind of hanging around. Actually, yesterday, Carson came out there and was doing a little bit of work. A couple of receivers came out there and did a little bit of work. But that was kind of more on their own. But it's a really good chance, Kevin, for us to to get the rookies kind of, you know, they get all the attention. We get to catch them up. They've got to see the vets work now for a a couple weeks. And and now they can kind of – we can just focus in on them. I know it's barely been any time, and these guys have hardly even put on helmets in the NFL, but it seems like a couple day three guys, Kylan Grants in the tight end SMU, Mike Strawn, the wideout out of Charleston. It seems like those two have made a nice early impression for you guys. Yeah, they really have. Um, you know, Strawn is just you know, the size and speed and, and he's got good short area quickness and, you know, just great great disposition you know as as an athlete you know competitive disposition um really smart so really happy about the you know just the immediate kind of 
uh, impression he's made. And then Kyle, Kyle, Kylan Granson, I mean, he just, uh, you know, he is what we saw on tape. You know, I mean, he's an explosive athlete. Um, we knew he was a real smart guy. He's picking the offense up real fast. So um, good, good impression by both those guys and the other guys, too. I mean, we were just out there today, Kevin, you know, and sitting there talking with the coaches and many of them, uh, you know, even a lot of the free agents that we've signed, we really got a good group. With with Granson, is this you know a Trey Burton, Eric Ebron type role for him? Is that a, is that something a rookie can handle from from day one? Yeah, it is more our F tight end role, so um, it, it is in that role. And um, yeah, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, that that would be the role that we would want him to fit into. You know, whether he's taking a hundred percent of those reps, you know, we'll just have to see what he can handle and how he can handle it. Certainly, we feel you know really confident, you know, in uh, you know in Jack and Mo and and what they can do. And even though they're wide tight ends, we feel like they're both really good route runners, and and they present uh, you know they present their own mismatch problems as well so um, we'll, we'll just see how Colin progresses Frank Reich join us here on the Dan Dockett show I was thinking about this earlier today coach with this Brad Stevens news if there was something uh, I guess now year four for you if there was something that you could tell Frank Reich in June of 2018 about what you're going to encounter as a head coach of a football team what would be maybe that that one or I guess two things that that, that you would really want to know before your first year Kevin, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that one more time? Yeah, I, I was just curious, kind of going back to your first year as an NFL head coach, and if there's a piece of advice that you've learned over these four years that you could tell yourself, you know, entering summer of year one before your first training camp, what would that be? You know, I, I think it's can just be the same guy every day. Um, you know, you don't have to – I would just tell myself, hey, you don't have to – you don't ride the emotional waves. I mean, it, it's okay to feel the emotion and 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 live that out. But um, you know, just be the same guy every day. Um, really, I think what guys respect the most is the consistency. You know, that, that you can bring as a coach. Um, the players, they got all the juice you need. You don't have to be. I think as the player, I mean, as the coach, the juice, the juice guy, right? I mean, sure, you got some emotional things to say every now and then, but just you know, just do your job as the coach. Right, put the players in the best position. Teach good fundamentals and techniques, and, and just and push and push guys right to their limit in the right way. And I think that's what people respond to. Frank Rack joining us, and more coaching news. I think it j- just was reported that Mike Shashevsky is retiring. So, boy, this is quite the day to be filling in here for wow. Dan. Um, did, did you ever come across Co- Coach K? I guess in your days down there in in the Carolina area. No, uh, I was hoping to many times, you know, uh, obviously long admired and respected his coaching career and everything he's accomplished. And as you said, Kevin, I, I lived down in Carolina for 13 years, so, um, but never really crossed paths with him. Yeah, Jeff Goodman had, had that, so we'll, we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Um, I, I was hoping, Frank, you could take us back to maybe January, February, when you first got word, either whatever, intel that you felt like Carson Wentz was going to be available or, or Chris approached you and said what would you think um was it you going to chris was it chris coming to you walk us through kind of the first time you were like oh wow this might be a possibility yeah i mean great question i mean i i don't remember who initiated what i you know i just remember the discussion being 
at one point me saying, hey, hey, Chris, you know, I don't know if this is real. I don't know if it's possible, but just, you know, my two cents on the matter is um, if it's possible, then can you please make that happen? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of along that mode and, you know, let Chris do his thing and, and work it out. And um, I never thought it was going to be possible. I, I mean, I just didn't think that was going to it was going to work out the way it did. And um, but I'm certainly glad it did. And we got a long way to go. And Carson's really looked good and feel like this is it was I, th- I really do think it can be a win win for both organizations. I know we're really excited to have Carson and I feel like he's at a really good spot. Had you watched 2020 film of him before you said that to Chris? I had watched a little bit, um, but I had also I had watched a little bit. Um, Obviously, I keep track of a lot of the guys, you know, who, I, who I've been with over the years, especially the quarterbacks, um, and keep an eye on what they're doing and how they're playing. Um, yeah, and like I've said many times, I mean, I, I just wasn't – yeah, you're concerned about interceptions and sacks, but, you know, I've just seen so many – I've seen the other side, and I've seen a lot of the other side. So I think I was able to put it through a grid of, hey, I get it. I mean, it happens to everybody. We, we've had a bad year here. And um, as, a, as a player and as a team, um, you know, there was a bad year there uh, for, for Carson and for Philadelphia, and that happens. So you just got to put it past you, hit the reset button learn from it and move on i know it's just two weeks of work that you guys had over the you know the past couple of i guess you call them otas although they they weren't really fully otas what were your early keys whether it was you marcus brady scott milanovic with carson and and whatever trying to rebuild some of those fundamentals well, I think, first of all, like you just said, Kevin, you know, the rebuilding of the fundamentals, you know, Carson, you know, came in at a really good spot, right? I mean, you know, after after a rough year and you're making a transition, hey, it's the natural thing for any athlete to say, all right, I'm going to go back to the basics. I'm hitting the reset button, what, however you want to say it. And so Carson's kind of came in here, you know, with that, with that mentality, you know, with that real coachable spirit. Um, you know, to, hey, let's, let's, let me start from the ground up. And we're, you know, we're talking about all those little details, everything from, you know, your stance. Most people don't think about the stance of a quarterback when you're in shotgun. I mean, we've, we've broken down everything. And so just to go back piece by piece and, you know, just make sure we're, we're putting ourselves in a consistent position um, as many times as we can, because we know that, you know, once the ball is snapped and once the, and once the pressure comes, then a lot of times you have to ad lib. So what we're trying to do, Kevin, is create the basis and the foundation so that when everything is right and smooth and in time, we're as consistent as possible. And then when things break down, then let you know let the athlete take over you know and and Carson is that's the other impression that he's made here I think on this team is just how athletic he is how big and strong he is so we got to we got to play both of those to our advantage Frank Reich joining us here Kevin Bowen filling in today for Double D when you mentioned just his ability with his legs I and totally correct me if I'm wrong on this but I feel like last year what really bugged you was the situational effort third down red zone that was one area you could nitpick on offense that's where you would point to. I feel like Carson helps you there with his legs a little bit without obviously emptying the playbook unless you want to. Uh, in what ways can he help you with his legs when you do get into third down and inside the 20? Yeah, well, listen, I've, I've never tried to hide the fact that, hey, 
players out need to outplay their coaching. You know, so we're going to coach them up as well as we can. But then you need great players making great plays, and and so he can do that physically. I mean, I remember in 2017, uh, you know, we were pretty good in third down. Actually, through most of the year, we were really hot, like top three for about the first ten weeks, and then uh, the latter part of the season we tailed off a little bit. But he just made an insane amount of plays on third down in 2017 when he was healthy and then the last three games when he was out you know um, you know we kind of slid a little bit on third down but you know he can make plays like that on third down in the red zone same thing just and, and the thing with Carson though he's not just that extending plays with his feet he's really smart on top of it so it's that combination of mind and foot speed and quickness and strength that I think make him a threat. How do you see T.Y.'s game changing, if at all, with, with Carson? Well, Andrew used to always say that there's no player better at finding open space than T.Y. Hilton, that when things break down or when you're out of rhythm, um, T.Y. just had this knack. And he said that from day one, and I remember thinking to myself, well, that's kind of a weird thing for Andrew to say about T.Y. But then I've seen that play out over three years. And, you know, given with what we've just said with Carson's ability to do that, um, obviously I think that bodes well for T.Y. Frank Reich joining us here. Um, just a few more that I want to throw at you, Coach. Uh, I, I've said many times over the past, I guess, year plus, I feel like two players that can really raise the ceiling on your guys' seasons. Um, Paris Campbell on offense, Kamoko Terry on defense. Let's start with Campbell. What does a healthy Paris Campbell do for not only your wideout core, but just your entire unit? Yeah, it's funny you asked about those two guys. I literally just came walking from the weight room where those two guys were in there working out and just got done having a 10-minute conversation with each one of them. But, um, yeah, Paris, I mean, Paris is a complete receiver. Like, when he was at Ohio State, you know, everybody said he was kind of like the gadget guy. He's a slot receiver that kind of does all that little running back stuff. But I, Chris and I, I remember when, when we talked about Paris coming out, we said, no, we really feel like Paris can be the complete package as a wide receiver. He's had two unfortunate years with injuries, so we're really looking for him to, to develop into – you know, the, the complete receiver. And, you know, how high is the – what's the limit on that? I, I don't know. I don't think there's much of a limit. He's really smart. He's he's really got – he's got good technique. He's got good skills. And he's extremely explosive. We're just in there talking. I think he feels as good or better than he's ever felt. So not only did he not lose a, a step, you know, with this injury, I actually think he looks just as fast, if not faster, and so excited about what he's going to bring this year. Position group that you are most confident in? I I, I don't know. You you might not love that question. I I think it's your running back group. Um, you got a group in mind that maybe got makes you sleep the best at night right now? I don't know. Maybe it's your old line if Fisher's healthy. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, that's a really tough question for a coach <laughs> to answer when you have the position groups that we have. I mean, um, certainly those two that you mentioned may uh, help me sleep well at night. Um, that running back room is special. I mean, that running back room is special, not only players but people, and the O-line thing is a, is a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th that's, that's really – I give Chris uh, a lot of credit. You know, we've just really – 
worked hard at building depth, you know, in each of these groups to have the kind of players, you know, that, that can just be playmakers, play winning football, you know, when we need. I, I feel like with our, you know, with the two D linemen that we drafted this year, you know, and Quiddy and Dale, that really makes that D line, that's going to make that D line room, uh, that's a great room to be in too. Now, I, you know, I love going in that D line room. That's it's a dynamic room, dynamic people and players, you know, so really across the board. Um, we just need to continue to build and, and believe and um, expecting big things this year. Curious if at all, Frank, you know, what, we're less than two months away from training camp. Have you thought about that first meeting at all at Grand Park? And I know you're super process oriented, but do you bring up to your team okay, it's, you know, before I got here, but it is now six years without a division. You know, it is time to advance in the month of January, things like that. Do you bring up those results-specific stuff and how we seemingly evaluate everyone in sports, especially the NFL, or is it all just process, process, process? No, um, you're exactly right. First of all, I do, yeah, I I think about that meeting in August a lot, you know, from the almost, not from the time the season's over, but certainly from the time we get into OTAs and, you know, thinking about it now. And that is the time. And every year we, we talked about it last year in training camp. We, we talk about the goal-oriented stuff early on. Hey, you know, we, you want to climb the mountain. You want to hit this goal, this goal, this goal. We, you know, we need to take control of the AFC South. Um, and, you know, so these are the go- here's the goals that we need to uh, accomplish. Here's the checkpoints, right, this kind of sub-goals that we need to hit along the way to get to that so those are all like you know as you said i'm very we're very process oriented here but it's not like we don't ever talk about that stuff but we we try to apply it at the right place use it as reminders along the way but focus more on the process did i see you guys had an event the other day with uh not today. Yeah, with yeah, we did last night uh, up, yeah. up in Fishers at the amphitheater. Uh, really, you know, concert. They have a concert series up there. Really nice crowd there last night. Had six of the players. You know, uh, DeForest was up there. Carson, Ryan Kelly, Glowinski, Paris, and Quiddy were all up there for not today and having a chance to, you know, continue to build a team that can fight uh, against the uh, the sexual abuse and exploitation of children. And uh, great showing and great support last night from everyone up there in Fishers. That's awesome. Well, uh, one last thing I want to sneak in. Um, speaking, I guess, on the, on the north side, Grand Park, it sounds like that's going to be the case. I saw the Panthers mentioned um, some joint practices. Is that something you guys hope to do with them up at Grand Park? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, we've been talking, you know, been planning that, and it looks like all things are a go. You know, I, I've known Matt a little bit for – so uh, we were able to kind of work that out, feel good about that, and then obviously have them as our week one preseason opponent. So I always look forward to that. And, um you know, so and I know our players well as well. I'm really looking forward to getting back up to Grand Park, and, you know, for training camp. It's a great, it's a great dynamic, and hopefully, right, everything's open for fans to be there. Our players love that. It's great interaction. It's great energy out there for training camp. Um, so, you know, all systems look go there. Year four for Frank Reich here in 2021. Any uh, family trips coming up? 
Well, yeah, actually, big you know, big stuff for us. Uh, you know, our second granddaughter is due this summer, and and uh, you know, and then my we have three daughters, and my and our youngest daughter is getting married. So um, big, big summer. You know, so the little bit of time that the, the month that we get off here right before the season will be a busy a busy uh, month for us. Well, I, I, now you've got two more questions. One, how long until the second granddaughter's got the eagle claw, and then two. Um, <laughs> Are you going to be officiating the, the, the wedding? I don't know how that works there. I know you've uh, certainly done that in the past. Yeah, funny. Yeah, no, we'll be working on the eagle claw from a very early age <laughs> and, and all the other fundamentals that are necessary. And then she'll be able to compete against uh, her her uh, cousin. So, uh, and then, yes, Kevin, I am officiating the wedding and I have officiated my other two daughters. So I get a chance to walk her down the aisle. Right? I'm co-officiating it uh, with uh, someone from the from her fiance's family. So he'll, he'll kind of start. I'll walk her down the aisle and then I'll turn around and take over the officiating duties and Boy. and bring it home. So, uh, you know, that's something I'm very, uh, you know, that, that I've always, I can't explain why, but some, uh, kind of something I've always wanted to do when our girls were young and I was doing a lot of things in the ministry world. Um, I kind of always had that vision in the back of my mind of doing that. And uh, it's been real special. Man, that is a busy summer. Uh, not as much R&R, I guess, but certainly some uh, awesome <laughs> life moments for the Reich family. So, Frank, I appreciate the time. Enjoy this uh, last week, I think, with the rookie. And that's right. Yeah, we'll see you at Grand Park here in about two months. Thanks, Kevin. And yeah, that was Frank Reich. Uh, so thank you to him for the time. Mark, anything before we get to Twitter questions that stood out to you from uh, Coach Reich? Frank Reich's honesty about landing Carson Wentz, like how desperate he knew that they were for a quarterback. And yeah. he saw the talent that Wentz had up front. And he told Chris, let's make this happen if we can. And obviously, it's going to probably cost them a first-round pick. But he and Ballard are obviously comfortable with that. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, same. And I, I wanted our you know daily listening audience to hear that. I knew Frank would give that type of answer, but I wanted you know people driving around in their cars that maybe aren't as in-depth to the Colts as listeners of this podcast to hear it. But I, I again, walk away from that interview and think, Frank Reich is obsessed with Carson Wentz. And I go back to that Philly radio interview I did when the trade was rumored and your Bears were involved in those rumors. And I said something to the effect of, and I forgot I was on Philly radio when I said it because it just blew up as soon as I said it. But I go, in my opinion, Carson Wentz is like the son Frank Reich never had. And as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, shit, Kevin, you idiot. I'm just like, oh, boy. And my mentions just exploded that night. Um, I think I believe it. Like, he loves. I think so, too. You used the word smitten before. I mean, he is smitten about Carson Wentz. Now, obviously, I think we have a Twitter question kind of about this, but you need conviction. You need belief. I think that's a big quality to have as a head coach or a decision maker. But you also need to know when to not walk that line and when to say enough is enough. So I think that will be interesting to see how that plays out. And I also think we need to remind ourselves this, and this is, I think, more in line with some of this Julio Jones chatter that I know we're going to get to here in just a second. We talked about the draft capital on past podcasts about why the Colts would not entertain a Julio Jones trade. To me, it comes down to if you are on the belief scale about Carson Wentz, Frank Reich is at a 99.9. I'm guessing, and this is me just with my gut, I think Chris Bauer's more like a 75-80. And when you are the GM 
and it's quarterback and you're 75 80 you can't mortgage drafts like you you just can't yeah. do that as much as you want to push chips in as much as you want to support Carson Wentz if you would have done it to the fact that you're entering next year's draft with one pick in the first you know 150 selections that's just not a recipe for uh, an emergency situation that could develop so that's where I'm at is like Ballard believes in Reich believes in Wentz but not the belief of like I'm going to mortgage everything to go all in Mm -hmm. so I I, I just wanted to mention that before we hop into Twitter questions All right, here we go Twitter question time Matt says hey Kev thanks as always for the podcast would you who is more likely to play 17 games this year Julio Jones or Paris Campbell (laughs) oh boy I mean (laughs) don't you love the industry where we like predict injuries I mean, this is like literally. Well, we were talking about fantasy football. And yeah, that's, that's a big issue. Yeah. Um, so Matt usually sends in questions and is great, like asks really good questions. I think this is a ludicrous question, to be frank. Um, I'm a little bit unsure on where the Julio Jones injury narrative comes from. I know he missed, what, seven games last year, something like that. Mm-hmm. If you look at him before that, I want to say he's missed, like, I don't know, three games in, like, six years. I mean, a very limited amount of games. When you look at Paris Campbell, this dude's played in nine games in two years. It's apples and oranges, in my opinion. It's not even – they're do not you, even close you, to the same. Do you have Julio's stats up? Yeah. So, okay. last have, year he played in nine. How about the year before? Fifteen. Okay. Year before that, 16, 16, 14, 16, 15. Boom. I mean – I mean, it's not even a question. Yeah. So let's just take the last two years. So you said 15 and 9 he's played in the last two years. Mm -hmm. So divide that. That's 12 games on average that he's played in last two years. You look at Campbell, nine games in two years. That's an average of four and a half. So we're going with 12 games on average versus four and a half on average. Like, I I was – and again, I like Paris Campbell. Like, I hope he does well. I mean, you heard Frank Wright talk about him in that interview – but I was looking up a story the other day for Campbell. Mark, do you know the name Traymond Smith? I do not. That dude has played in more games than Paris Campbell for the Colts <laughs> in the last two years. And unknown as well. No, Quincy Wilson has played in the same amount of games as Paris Campbell. Like, it, it's just, yeah, I, 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 I can't. I mean, again, predicting injuries is impossible. Like, it's there's no way, shape, or form that you can accurately do that. Uh, it sounds idiotic, but... If I am saying who is more likely to play, I, I shit, I, I, I go with Julio. Yeah, Julio Jones. He played, might not practice a lot, he, but. He played nine games in 2020. The only other time he's played less than 13 games was in 2013 when he fractured his foot. He only played five. Yeah, and 2013 is a long, long time ago. And he's been playing since 2011. Yeah. So you have a long history of him being very And last year was healthy. a hamstring, right? It wasn't even like so. a big ACL or right. Achilles or something like that. So, again, Matt, I, I understand it, I guess, but ooh, I strongly disagree. Logan slash Drew says, Hey, KB, now that the Titans have signed Julio, we'll face him twice a year. With Rock still yet to develop and what the Colts want, how soon do we sign Richard Sherman or another veteran cornerback? We can't afford to rely on something that is a hit or miss we have to go against some receiver duos this year especially aj and julio appreciate everything you do and hope your family is well well thank you guys and we got a lot of julio questions so we grouped a couple of these together um let me start here by when you think about the colts and their defense 
I think this move, certainly it adds pressure on the secondary, but it adds a lot of pressure on the front and your ability to get after Ryan Tannehill because you don't play a lot of man. You don't have a lot of guys on island. Um, you know, I, I felt like a mid-level corner was something the Colts should have explored. Now, when they brought back Rhodes and they brought back TJ Carey, I guess I was content with the group. Uh, now, when you look at the schedule this year and you see the wideouts on the schedule, it seemed like everybody had like that top flight wideout, but now you got Tampa on the schedule with you know two guys in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Obviously, Tennessee twice. And something to note, if you're going to say Julio's going to get hurt, you do play Tennessee twice in the first two months of the season. So, theoretically, is Julio going to be healthy? You know, that would be the time, I guess, that he's healthy, um, you would think. Yeah, I... You know, they are... Uh, they're really banking on their corners. And I know, besides Sherman, I want to say Josh Norman's still out there. I think Artie Burns is another name still out there. I think they're going to get through camp they're going to say, what does Marvell Tell show? What does Isaiah Rogers show? And then obviously, Rocky scene. And if those guys don't show them anything, then they go out and look for a veteran corner. But I think they really want to see what they have. And I mean, I, I'm intrigued to see what Marvell Tell and Isaiah Rogers specifically can give them. I do think something to note about the Titans is this they're so run heavy, we fall into the trap of like, they don't score. They averaged over 30 points per game last year. Like They were a top-five scoring offense. So, um, I know the playoff game, they laid an egg against Baltimore. Baltimore had a great plan. Obviously, Baltimore's defense, you know, really, really solid. But I think when you look at where their offense is, I, I have talked about it, I feel like the Colts are the division favorite because Henry's got to get hurt. <laughs> like he, just, he has to become a human being at some point. If he gets hurt now... They potentially have Julio and A.J. Brown to withstand an absence of his for whatever, three or four games, something like that. So um, I think that is interesting to me. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how how, how it all plays out. Um, yeah. Yeah, the addition of Julio, I think, definitely takes the workhorse mentality off of Derrick Henry. You don't have to run him into the ground. Right. You've got two guys that can just go on either side of the wide receiver crew i do want to pose this question to you because you brought it up on the morning show and we got a lot of yeah a lot of feedback on it and i'm kind of interested to see what your take is so we all know the colts start of the season is just a brutal Brutal. stretch it's an absolute cluster so i posed the question to jeff and joe and i want to get your thoughts i said if the colts start the season two and four which may very well happen, but those two wins are against the Titans and the Texans. Do you feel good about that start, or are you ringing the alarm bells? Oh, boy, that's a good one. So Okay, so you've got them losing Rams, Seahawks, Ravens, Dolphins, but beating But beating your division opponents. And that Titans game is there, right? The first Titans game is at Nashville, yeah. Hmm. Um, Well, I I would say this. First off, I'd cop out and say, can I know what the Titans – record is but i know that's not the game so i will play your game i'd feel okay about the division i wouldn't feel great about anything else Mm -hmm. Um, and to me when i look at this colts team and look at the goals for 2021 i've talked about winning the division winning a playoff game those are the goals what I think you need to avoid is kind of what Tennessee fell into the trap of last year is when you get into the playoffs, but then you're matched up against that pretty darn good five seed in Baltimore. And all of a sudden they're coming into your stadium 
and that's going to be a really hard matchup, even though the, you're at home. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I just wouldn't feel great because it just puts so much pressure on the rest of your schedule. Obviously, you'd come back with the home game against Tennessee. I think it's Halloween. You play them the second time around. And if you sweep them, you'd be in control of the division. But it's one of those things, Mark, of like, are you looking at a 9-8 and eight division record and you're winning it? A 10-7 and seven division record? Now, I know there's only one bye. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, not like you're going 13-4 and four or something like that. But, yeah, I, I would... I'd feel okay again about the division, but just not great about the overall. Because two and four, I mean, you still got Buffalo and Tampa in back-to-back weeks. Like You're just putting more pressure on the rest of the schedule. And we've talked about it. I feel like the rest of the schedule, you put the division games aside, I think they're really, really difficult. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's no cakewalk this no. year. I mean, your easiest game is probably the Jets, but that's on a Thursday night. Funky things can happen. But outside of that, what is it? Raiders, Patriots? Like I don't. Again, Cardinals are on there too. Non-division, yeah. And I think that's a great, great matchup. So I do think something to note about the Titans, Mark, is this: we have uh, we have two big misconceptions in the town of Indianapolis. Okay, that's this: the Jaguars are good at football, and the Titans suck at football. Those are our two misconceptions we have because the Jaguars beat the Colts mm-hmm. a lot. And the Colts beat the Titans a lot. So there's these two just theories of like, oh, yeah, Tennessee's not any good. The Colts own Tennessee. Well, <laughs> you know, Reich is what? four and I think he's 4-2 and two against Vrabel. So that's that's a solid record. But then you look at the overall picture, you know, Tennessee's won a division in that time frame. Tennessee's gone further in the playoffs uh, in that time frame as well. It's like when Jacksonville does one thing positive, like all of a sudden they get Trevor Lawrence, like, oh, Colts are screwed. You know, like, no, no, Jacksonville's not very good, guys. It's just when they play the Colts, somehow they're able to to beat them. So um, I think that's something to keep in mind as well. But, man, th- th- this AFC in general, I mean, I- Buffalo, Baltimore, Indy, Cleveland, Tennessee, Miami, I, who knows about Pittsburgh. I think the Chargers could take a jump with Burrow. See, I'm not as concerned if the Colts start 2-4 and four because the Titans do not have a cakewalk of a schedule to start the season either. What do they got? They open – a home against the Cardinals, then they're at Seattle. Oh, man. Home against the Colts, at the Jets, at the Jaguars, and then home against the Bills. But right after that, they face the Chiefs, the Colts, and the Rams. Wow, Tennessee's got a tough first yeah. two and a half So that's months. why I'm wow. like two and four is, but, not, is not horrible. But what do you want, Mark? Do you want just to win the AFC South, or do you want to look like a team that's 12 and five at the end of the year and have beaten other playoff teams and now have whatever the confidence to get it done in the month of January. See, I think I think it's not the end of the world if they start 2 and 4 because the schedule does get a little easier on the back half and I think they'll find their rhythm and all that stuff. But I just think if you're open against the Seahawks, the Rams and then the Titans, I mean it's a tough go. I mean yeah. 3 and 3 is going to be if they get 3 and 3 that'll be good, I For think. For sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's not easy. I also think this a, a subplot, some might argue the plot of this season. You cannot be in quarterback limbo with Carson Wentz. Right. You've got to get to the end of the year and say, you're our guy, we're riding you like none other, or you are not our guy, and we've got to move on. Like, you can, it, you know it full well, Mark, and not to rub it in, but your franchise, the Bears, Thanks. have lived in quarterback purgatory, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. Quarterback purgatory is not purgatory, it's hell. Yeah. And the Colts it's can't awful. be in that. No. But I think, 
See, I, I also think that Carson – what if Carson Wentz isn't the reason that they're losing, though? Like, if he's putting up numbers and they're just losing from either yeah, defensive gaps or last-second kicks. Like, yeah, that's, that's we, hard to bait. Oh, please don't bring up kickers. I know. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll save that topic for another day. Yeah. Scotty says, is it just me or is everyone upset that Ballard did what Ballard does and not spend money and heavy draft capital for old and injured players, basically an Andre Johnson 2.0? Do you think they'd be happier with – to have Grigson back because he's made those kind of moves in the past. Do you think also that the current cap situation and having to pay our own and having backup plans also factored into it? Thanks, fellas. Okay, uh, lots to unpack there. I guess let me start with the back part of that. Do you think the current cap situation, having to pay our own, factored in? Yes. Now, you can man- manipulate the cap and make things work, but I know full well that that was a huge factor in this based off the Colts' Um, whatever, point of view, approach, whatever you want to call it. Um, now, I think the basically Andre Johnson 2.0, you imagine calling Julio Jones Andre Johnson 2.0 at this age? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about one of the best wide receivers, certainly in modern era. Um, last year, Mark, what stood out to me about Julio, you know, plays in what, nine games, averaged over 11 yards per target. We're not talking per catch, per target. You throw the ball towards the dude and you get 11 yards on average. Like, that is an astronomical number to me. So, I think and we fall into the trap of this as well. Like, just because you hit on, you haven't hit on edge rushers means you stop swinging. We talked about that back during the draft process. Just because one older wideout didn't work out means you all of a sudden don't take a swing because not every wideout is Andre Johnson. Not every wideout is Julio Jones. Like, I think you have to, when you're in that position, can you learn from those mistakes? Certainly. Can you dive deeper into those situations? Without a doubt. But to group players into other categories, I think is a bit lazy. And you're going to miss out on some potential if you all of a sudden say, oh, yeah, uh, 32-year-old wideout plus, we're not going to sign any of those guys. Like, you know, I know he didn't work out maybe uh, to the degree that other teams thought he would work out, but Antonio Brown really helped the Bucks li- right. right last year. Like, it, it's just I don't think you can go down that slope there. When you group players, you start going down a slippery slope because, like, saying – like my Bears drafting Justin Fields. Oh, Ohio State quarterbacks never right, work out. Right. Well, if that's exactly. the case, then you'd never take any of them. So, I mean, exactly. just, you can't go that way. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with that. Now, where I would disagree with Ballard and his approach this offseason was just not doing something else at wideout. Like, I get it. To, yeah, to get I a Julio, it, that would have been substantial. But there's a pretty deep wideout pool in free agency. Mm-hmm. And you are running it back with your wideout core and hoping Paris Campbell stays healthy. That is something I... I, I would not have done there. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, again, not everyone's Bjorn Werner. Like, just because one pass rusher doesn't work. But now you look at Bjorn Werner and you say, oh, that guy, his measurables were this, his testing numbers were this. Let's stay away from that. Like, I mean, Julio, I mean, that's a freak. That is an absolute freak. Andre Johnson, great athlete, great player. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I, I don't know. I'd probably have to look closer. And I mean, Julio, it's it's first ballot, and we just move on. Yeah, the Colts' wide receiving offseason is the biggest head scratcher, in my opinion. Are you? But b- before we move on to the next question, are you a? Um, do you care what like guys have done against your team? Does that matter? Like past performance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
It depends. I mean, it depends what kind of guy you're talking about. If it's just like a random like slot receiver that's had a couple good games or right. something. But if it's like, you know, if it's a guy who's proven himself in the league like a Julio Jones, then yeah, you know. Julio, three games against the Colts in his career. Now, obviously, you play the Colts every four years, so we're talking, what, 2011, 2015, 2019, I think it is. Eight for 128, nine for 160, three for 131. Three for 131. He has averaged 139 yards per game against the Colts. Uh, no team he has torn up more than the Colts in history now i don't put a lot of stock into it like let me be clear like i think those numbers are just uh strictly whenever a player is signed to the colts or traded to the colts or signed to a divisional team i look that stuff up just out of curiosity and just you know maybe a little nugget Uh, so i don't care i know a lot of people like do care about that stuff Uh, i don't know what his vendetta is against the colts if there is such a thing but um yeah We'll see uh, how those numbers transpire here this year. It's like T.Y. Hilton's vendetta against the Houston Texans. Right, 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 exactly. All right, David asks, Hey, Kev, been thinking about this for a while. Are the Colts in win-now mode or still building? I can't tell with all the one-year deals whether they're committed right now before the extensions or start building for the future. Thanks. Yeah, David, thank you for the, for the question. I think this kind of comes back to um, something Chris and I talked about a little bit earlier in the year that I view the Colts kind of in this five- to seven-year window. Now, that window doesn't all of a sudden mean, like, it's wide open and it's a Super Bowl window. I'm a big believer in, like, you've got to take steps to like, to get through that window. I know it's a terrible analogy, but whoa, whatever. I, I harken back to, like, the last regime, and I should say the two regimes ago, I guess, Peyton and that era – when you enter 2003, you know, you had drafted Freeney, drafted Edge, Reggie Wayne, you know, Clark, all of them. That was the start of the window for me. So from 2003 to 2010, mm-hmm. I guess it was, you have all these Hall of Famers, and it's two Super Bowl appearances, it's three AFC title appearances in that span. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you win a Super Bowl there. That was their window, you know, and and it, it came and it went. And, you know, people certainly argue that there should have been more success playoff wise in that era. Obviously, you're going up against a juggernaut in New England during that time. I look at this era of the Colts right now. And while I think it's a five to seven year window, I'd be foolish to act like it's as lucrative as what that window was looking like. I mean, they're the Hall of Famer. Yeah. Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard. Sure. But the Hall of Famer, a quarterback and at wide out and. The edge rushers and potentially the left tackle, you know, was obviously a really elite player as well. Um, I just think it's so important for this franchise to start tasting some success like that Colts team did. 2003, they get, I think they lose, I don't think it was very close in the AFC title game. Then 04, you taste a little bit, 05, and then obviously 06, not something that I think a whole lot of people saw coming entering the playoffs. Boom! You never know when you're going to get on that run. But I think getting to January, winning divisions, experiencing that, getting some sort of home field, I think all of that is really big. So, David, to your point, I I think we've seen a little bit of mix from Chris Ballard. The win-now moves, Eric Fisher, very win-now. I wrote the article last week on the site. That was Super Bowl. It wasn't Quiddy Pay or Christian Darisau at number 21, and we're going to go Darisau. 
you know, or Charles Leno because he's healthier. No, no, no. Um, that's where I, I, I think that's at. Um, and the one-year deals, I, I just feel like that's a little bit more cap flexibility related. The Colts don't really give a lot of multi-year deals, and so and sixty percent of the league's yeah. on minimum deals anyway. Right. I mean, so that is it's not out of the out of the realm that they're on one-year deals. A lot of the league is for sure. Welcome to pandemic-related cap. All right, ten seventy's biggest fan. I assume that's not his given name. Uh, <laughs> with no corners drafted or signed this offseason, is it possible for Isaiah Rogers to see legitimate playing time at cornerback, or is he likely to stay at kick return? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's certainly a name. You know, I mentioned earlier, Marvell Tell's a name. Um, I think right now entering camp, it, it looks like this. Your top two, Xavier Rhodes, Kenny Moore. Your third corner is TJ Carey. Rocky Seen's got to go win that job. Now, your third corner plays like 80 90% of the snaps. Your fourth corner, he might not play at all. So that's where you get into just kind of a little bit of difference there. Obviously, it's different body types in Tell and Rodgers. So, I think Rodgers will have a chance to get in that third, fourth corner. Obviously, injuries could impact things, but as of now, like if you're making a death chart and going to play tomorrow, I don't think Rodgers would be getting a whole lot of playing time. All right. JJ says, the Colts acquired several players that have played for Ballard and Reich previously four or five years ago. Are familiar players that attractive to other teams? Does familiarity really make a player more attractive? Um, I think it does. I mean, I, I think they are more attractive to that team. You know, you don't know a guy, I think, truly until you get him into their building. And even then, you know, do you really, really know a guy? But you obviously see him act, you know, through adversity, through good times, the bad times, all those things. You know, as much as you do a lot of draft background on these guys, getting them into the league and seeing money, substantial money, I should say, for the first time in their, you know, potentially their lives, that's going to change guys. So as much as you've done all this intel in the draft process and your area scouts, like three or four years in the NFL can totally shape and change who you are as as a human being. So I think familiarity is key in it, but does it cloud things? And that gets back to kind of the Reich, you know, conviction belief. I think it's important. I think it's more times than not helpful, but I think you do run into the ability to where if you just only go down that road, it's a little bit dangerous. I think familiarity is a reason why you have Carson Wentz as your quarterback oh, right now. I mean, if Mike Vrabel's a head coach or you know whoever would have been the head, no, there's, yeah. there's no way Carson Wentz is here. Jeremy asks if Wentz struggles this season, how many games do you give him before letting one of the young guys come in? I assume Jacob Eason. I do not anticipate this, but it's a fun question. I'm generally interested in what kind of leash he'll have. Personally, I think he'll get back into 2019 season form versus 2020. Yeah, it's a really good question. Honestly, it's really tough for me to answer. So, the stipulations on that contract are this. 70% of playing time for Carson Wentz, and the Colts make the playoffs, and that means you're giving away a first-round pick. Or, 75% of the playing time, and you don't make the playoffs. I was looking up when they drafted Wentz, or when they traded for Wentz. You know, He obviously got benched for the final four games last year. So that was a fourth of the season, but you know he had been taken out of some other games. So he ended up playing 71% of the snaps last year. So, I mean, I think the Colts are going to make the playoffs. I mean, he's got to be out. And you've got the 17th game this year, too. Right. So he's got to be out for five games. At least. 
And, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, a series or two at the end of a game here or there. Like, that just doesn't happen very often in the NFL where you rest your quarterback that much. So I think the leash is going to be very, very, very long, much longer than mine would be because I'm a big believer in, like, once you know, you've got to be committed that you know it's not working, and then you throw Jacob Eason in there, and you find out with Eason, and then you enter next year's draft. Now, knowing Frank Reich, knowing Chris Ballard, that leash is going to be long. And you also have to factor in this, Mark. You just talked about it earlier. Two and four start. It might not be the end of the world. Probably isn't the end of the world. Like, this division's not going to be a runaway. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Tennessee will all of a sudden just go, whatever, 14-3 or something crazy. It's not Kansas City. So, I don't think the division's going to be out of your grasp. And I don't think a playoff spot. I mean, you got seven playoff teams. Yes. So, um, I don't think you're going to be, like, officially eliminated. I don't see them benching wins no. until they're officially eliminated. So. Well, because Frank Reich's reputation's on the line as well. Yeah. And if he fails, then he's going to be on the hot seat himself. So there's a right. lot riding on Carson Wentz yeah. recovering think, from last season. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, I, I, I think the leash is really, really long. All right, there is a lot going on in this question, okay. so we'll, we'll go at it. Wyatt says, okay, Kev, rank these as most likely to happen. Quiddy Pay gets 11 sacks. Kenny gets seven interceptions. The Colts' D doesn't allow a 100-yard rusher all season. Michael Pittman gets 12 touchdowns. Taylor over 1,800 yards. Wentz, 40 touchdowns. Perfect O-line health. Oh, jeez, Mark. Um, I think I said this last week. I'm, the Allen hangover gif is going through my head right now. Like, wait, can I process all of those numbers there? Um, okay. Um, well, my first thought after hearing you read off all those is those are lofty. Like, those are some wild numbers, to be honest with you there. Uh, If I am legitimately going to rank those, I will go with, honestly, I'll go with Carson Wentz 40 touchdowns first. I know 40 is a big number, but touchdowns can kind of be a finicky stat. You know, you get in the red zone, you get inside the 10, and that's what you're doing. I'll probably go Michael Pittman, 12 TDs next. Again, lofty, but I'll go there. Um... Kenny Moore, seven picks would be, I think, where I'm going. It's just, I mean, 1,800 yards is a, is a ton, and I just I'm assuming that's all-encompassing. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm guessing that's rushing and oh, receiving. okay, so I interpret that as rushing. If you're going to go all-purpose, that's not as crazy. Yeah, that's why I think that's more likely, because okay. okay. that's how I'm reading is that it's, gotcha. it's including receiving and rushing. So you and Wyatt are, are on the same page there, potentially. The 11 sacks is a huge number. That would, boy, I mean, when's the last time a rookie has gotten that? I I, I don't know. I'd have to look that up, but it's been a while. Uh, yeah. Is that everything? Oh. Uh, perfect O-line health. Yeah. Colts D not allowing a 100-yard yeah. rusher. I'm not bet on health. You know me. Boy, we've we bet on a lot of health on this podcast today. Uh, Derrick Henry, uh, some running back will fall into 100 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know the Colts had a long run, but that's not a bet that – I mean, you're literally, for 17 straight games, you're cheering for running backs to rotate and get hurt against the Colts. Technically, Colts' perfect O-line health is already out the window because Eric Fisher's out for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's a great point, assuming he misses at least one game. So, yeah, Wyatt, that is, whew, boy, those are some big numbers. I don't, did the schedule get bumped up to 20 games I, I, I don't i don't know how that happens <laughs> all right josh feel like i we tend to take for granted second year players will improve for example as much as i don't want to see it it's entirely possible that taylor slightly overachieved as a rookie 
Are the following second-year players more or less likely to have better stats slash more impact? In other words, sophomore slump or second-year leap? Taylor, Pittman, Eason, Togia. Yeah, Noah Tungiai. Togiai. I think Big Joe had issues. Tungiai, yeah, whatever. Pinner, Harris, Windsor, Rogers, Tell Blackman, and Blankenship. That's another long list of people. Yeah, man. Okay. Um... You know, I mean, some might argue that Jonathan Taylor underachieved through that first half of the year. You know, he didn't do much in those, what, first 10 games or so. I think he was under four yards per carry. I mean, some of these guys I got no idea on, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, the general thinking, I think, is this. Second-year guys take jumps. But, you know, guys like Rocky Seen, guys like Ben Banigou, you would be – would tell you otherwise. I mean, Taylor and Pittman – are huge. I, I guess the big question I have is just how, like, what are the opportunities these guys right. are going to get? I mean, Eason, you know, right. who knows? The, the jump from Eason, what did you yeah. even see last season? So right. anything that you see is an improvement on last year because you didn't see anything. It's like DeMichael Harris, uh, Paris Campbell's going to have to get hurt. Noah Tungiai at tight end, multiple guys are going to have to get hurt. So I don't see, I mean, Tell and, and Roger, I mean, again, Blackman, I mean, I thought he played pretty darn well. Right. Uh, maybe a slight regression just because the ball production. Um, I guess he asks regression or jump. Um, Rogers and and Tell are the interesting ones to me. But again, they got to make big leaps to get into that playing time, like we talked about earlier. With that second year leap, I mean, I think you got to circle Michael Pittman because yeah. you know how much oh, the yeah. Colts are banking on their wide receivers to step it up. Yep. So if he takes a step back at all, and you didn't address wide receiver really at all in the offseason, that's going to be a huge blow to their offensive production. And, and I am a firm believer that Michael Pittman will take a big jump. But like you said, Mark, I mean, part of their belief in not doing a whole lot at wideout, not doing anything at wideout, I should say, is that Michael Pittman will take that leap. That's a lot of pressure on Pittman and uh, Paris Campbell. Yeah. Definitely. Brent says, if Car- Carson Wentz was coming out of college in this year's draft, where would you have rated him? Bonus question, better play caller last year, Rivers or Reich? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know how much Rivers was doing the line of scrimmage. I do think he was doing quite a lot. Um, and I do think that's an aspect of Rivers that the Colts will miss a little bit, just how great he is at the line of scrimmage. Okay, if Carson was coming out of college in this draft, where would you rate him? Mark, these are other questions that are difficult for me. Like, are we saying he's 28? Are we saying he's right now? Like, you draft him and you absorb that contract? I think you're having him come out of North Dakota State. Oh, as so you're at, going there. So he's 22. Well, he says when if he's coming out of college in this year's draft. So I'm assuming okay. he's coming out as a, you know, if he's, he's the same age as everyone he's else. he's coming out of college, I'm probably placing him. I'd probably go Lawrence. I'd definitely go Lawrence. Um, Fields. Probably, I, I probably those are the two I take over Wentz coming out of college. So you'd rank him third. Yeah, I'm not a big Zach Wilson guy. Not a big. Have you seen Zach Wilson's mother? Yes. Uh, yeah. Whew. My friend sent me a picture yeah. during the draft, and I said, "Can someone draft her?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She'll be number ex- one on my team. An expansion team. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trey Lance. I I don't know. I'm not really. That's a lot of patience for me. A lot of patience. So, yeah, I'll go uh, third. Now, if this was Wentz at 28, 
and absorbing the contract. He's I'm, a Van Wilder of college. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's a Brandon Weed and a Rob Morris <laughs> just coming in at the age of nearly thirty. I I would put him much lower because I'm a big. I am a huge believer. And someday, and I don't know if I don't well how if this happens, the Colts will probably this guy probably won't be the head coach. I'd love to see what Frank Wright can do with a first or second round talent a quarterback that he's identified that has a fresh mind. I mean, think about like. 22-year-old mind Carson Wentz versus scar tissue physically, mentally Carson Wentz now. Now, who knows? Maybe humble pie will set, doesn't taste great, but it's whatever. has nutrients in it, whatever the hell. Um, I don't even know if that's a phrase, but Frank Reich said it last week, and I'm just expanding on it. Maybe that's you know better served for him, but I'd just rather have the fresh clay. Which I I took ceramics back in high school. Shout out to Sibby Hill, great teacher. Um, I, I I do love clay, um, but I don't know. I I, I just kind of want someone to come into my system, and you're learning from just us and not other people that could influence where you're at. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, that's why I'm intri- with the Bears. I'm intrigued with Justin Fields. What Nagy can do with him. So. Will you take Wentz higher than Fields? No. Yeah, the whole thing about Wentz, and I, I'm not going to, you know, at that point, the Colts obviously had Andrew Luck, so I'm not going to act like I was deep into the Jared Goff versus Carson Wentz debate of the 2016 draft. I think I was at the 2016 draft. Was that, yeah, Ryan Kelly. That was when um, Homeboy had the bong. Yeah. Um, Laramie Tunsil and fell. That was at some college in Chicago. I'm trying, I was, I was sitting up in the bleeds. But um, I don't remember that debate too, too much on it. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Fields, I just love some of the moments Fields has been in. I'm excited. Bryant asks, can you explain the contract magic that is the one-year deal? Mac, Rhodes, T.Y., Fisher, and many others have signed on one-year deals for us. For a player, wouldn't guys want long-term security? How does Ballard keep making these moves? They seem fairly one-sided in favor of the team, to be honest. I probably just opened up a whole can of craziness about NFL contracts and devilish details. You know, Brian, we touched on a little bit of this earlier. I do think the flexibility is what Chris Bauer loves in the one-year deals, but also the COVID implications is why we're seeing a lot more one-year deals, really from around the league. I don't think it's, yes, the Colts have been doing it a lot more than other teams, but um, I also think, yes, it's a one-way street to a degree, but I also think you know, if you're Eric Fisher and you prove that you're healthy, I mean, you're going you're gonna to really cash in. Next year. So I think guys know the cap is going up. They're going to hit free agency again. TV revenue is going to kick in a little bit more. You aren't going to, I mean, we're going to be hopefully full full attendance everywhere next season. Like, yes, there's a risk because you play in the NFL and not for long and all that. But if you are able to prove yourself and stay healthy, now all of a sudden you get a little bit more money off those guarantees. That's why I noted with that, with that question was the salary cap went way down this year. It's mm-hmm. going way up next year. Right. A lot of players are banking on themselves. They're fine. Prove it deals. I'll prove it to you and I'll get more money next year. That and just banking on the market being different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever was defined as the 10th best wide out in free agency, that just inevitably is going to go up. A lot more teams will have a lot more money to play with next year. So they might be throwing money all over the place. And even guys that are second or third string might be getting some decent deals than they are compared to this year and we know the cba rule you know having to spend 89 percent of your cap every four years so um, i do think it's a little bit more of a two-way street than 
uh, maybe we we initially believe. All right, last one. Isaac says, in the past 10 years, what player did we cut or lose to off the field issues that had the most promise? Derek Rogers is my choice. Oh, wow. What a name. That is a throwback. Yeah, that is. You know, he was the one that uh, he got to come back started against the Chiefs. I know that uh, I don't know if that'll appear on a 30 for 30 one day for the Colts, but that Colts Chiefs comeback, I think they were down. Was it four scores? I think that's right. And Luck just threw a deep ball to Derek Rogers, 40 some yard gain, and boom, next thing you know. Robert Mathis was strip sack and Hilton was behind the Chiefs defense. Um in the past ten years, what player do we cut or loose off? Isaac, it is a fascinating question. I will say this, and I've always said this. The Colts have not had many players with major off the field issues. Like uh homeboy who just got drafted by the Titans, Isaiah Wilson. Mm-hmm. Like Colts haven't really had that. I mean, the Colts are not a team that you scroll. ESPN bottom line scrolling and it's breaking news players been arrested not a lot for the Colts I would say the one player that comes to mind was shout out chirp chirp Muncie Jonathan Newsom do you remember that name I do so a pass rusher uh, started at Ohio State went to Ball State had six and a half sacks I want to say his rookie year I mean we're talking day three pick six and a half sacks and he had a sack of Peyton in the playoff win in uh, in Denver. So, you know, I don't – did he get arrested? I kind of forget if he got arrested. He, he, he had some off-the-field questions. I think he's playing in the CFL or somewhere like that. But you get a rookie, fifth rounder, six and a half sacks in year one, sacks Peyton in the playoff game. And this is, again, a year after – what was that? That was probably 2014 draft. This is a year after you take uh, – Bjorn Werner in the first round. So you could have potentially corrected your mistake in round one by drafting a fifth round rusher the next year. But uh, I don't think Newsom made it that 2014 season or uh, 2015 season. Yeah, Colts have been very lucky as far as not having too many problems in the locker room or anything like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm blanking on one that comes to mind that's really hit their stride outside of the organization. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. Who, uh, yeah, I mean, I know there's been a few kind of arrests or a few um, incidents, but nothing crazy. And and I do, I know sometimes this gets like made fun of a lot, but like it does come back to I think a lot of the high character that Chris Bauer preaches. So you do avoid all that. That was a, that was a good question, Isaac. Thank yeah. you. You said that's all of them, Mark. That's all. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for sending questions. We still got. A decent amount to get to over the next month and a half with various podcasts. And if you guys have any other questions, just feel free to DM me and we'll get to them eventually. So uh, I appreciate the time, man. Always a pleasure to fill in. He's Mark Dykton. You can listen to him on the Fan Morning Show, 7 to 10 a.m. He produces that show, does an awesome job, has his own segment on there as well. I will be in next Monday and Tuesday and then I think for a full week in late June as well. So... Mark and I will be seeing more of each other here coming up. So looking forward to that. Uh, Hopefully Chris will be back next week. And appreciate you all tuning into this edition of Kevin's Corner. Everybody have a great week.